0: Sisters of Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill, Uh, it is good to see everyone and such a sweet treat and blessing uh, to always gather together. And I love this coming together in the middle of the week. We get to be in the King's house. We get to gather as his people. We get to sing worship to him. We get to pray to him and we get to get in the word. Pretty good midweek treat, I say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the goodness of your word Thank you that you are Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Thank you that you give us this time to meditate on your word, Lord, to ponder who you are and to seek to grow in you, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that you help us to push aside distractions, to focus on you, to focus on your word alone. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill me with your power to be a vessel for your glory, for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing with our lovely study in the book of Psalms. We've gotten through the first month, and we get through five Psalms. Go us. Woo-hoo. And we're going to keep going. And I encourage you to go back to the texts that we've already studied. Go back to them. Don't just leave them. And I encourage you, even go to some of the texts that we haven't gotten to yet. But remember, with this word, it's a living word. So every time you go back... More is going to be illuminated. The Holy Spirit's going to give you more. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal more, teach you more, help you understand it more, use it to comfort you, use it to discern your thoughts and the intents of your heart. So dig in, dig in, dig in. Now, last week, we had the three-point charge to ponder after Psalm 5, and again, this is just a chance when we review this to recall, to remind ourselves what it is, and to check in how are we do in running the race. How are we doing on this journey of sanctification? So the first one with checking in is taking stock of one. Did you take stock of your praise and prayer life this last week? Did you take stock if it was just a habit, if it's just something you kind of go through or walk to? Or do you take time to enter into his presence with the right spirit, with humility, realizing that you're going to the God of creation And remember what we saw, he bends his ear to hear you. Do you go in prayer and praise humbly, seeking to glorify him? And we saw also this past Sunday, as we tie that together, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit giving us the power to do that. Giving us the power to pray unto our Lord that way. Two, and I won't ask for a show of hands with this, but did you set a morning date with God? And did you keep it this week? Did you set that morning date? Did you get up and go to him in prayer? Not the emails, not the what you gotta do, not the dog that's whimpering in the wherever. Did you go to him? Because we've got our beloved pocket computers, and I even owned it, guilty as charged. They just, they wrap you into just so many things that you need to do that seem so important because that text message is there. And if I don't answer it, what will Susie think? No. Go to the Lord in prayer. Start the day with him. And if this is something that you didn't get to do or you're struggling with, accountability time. Ask your spouse, hey, hold me accountable to that. If you're single, get a brother or sister in the Lord and ask them to hold you accountable in that. Accountability is a powerful tool that we gotta lean in on. Last one, did you seek more in his word and relishing in it with joy? Did you remember that we get to be joyful? The Lord promises us joy. We have eternal joy. So with that, did you think of that? Realize with all three of these, it's all an opportunity to grow closer to our king. It's all an invitation to apply his word into action. And that's what we need to be doing. we got to be doers of this word. We can't just read it and feel great. we got to be doers. we got to take it. we got to run with it. We've got to use it. So tonight, we are going to be in Psalm 6. And the message tonight is entitled, From the Bottom. From the Bottom. So a story that I want to just read before we get into the word from a believer. As I laid down in the snow, barely able to breathe, I realized I must have been there for some time. My face felt numb. The world was spinning. I heard them coming to get me to help carry me to my apartment where the party would keep going. I clearly had too much to drink, and yet I knew I'd have more. They tried to help me stand. I couldn't walk. I collapsed. They had to carry me like a plank, seven of the guys, to get me to the apartment. When we finally made it, they tossed me on the corner of the couch and gave me another drink. Lord, I'm spent. Lord, please. I didn't know him yet, but it was all I could say in the moment. How many of you can recall a time when you suffered? A time when you felt near the end. A time when you felt near the bottom. As though there's no hope. Perhaps that might be something you're going through right now. Or not. Perhaps you may have had a similar story to being too drunk in a former time. Perhaps you have a story of feeling so weighed down... And finished. And then we look at our culture today. Since COVID, the number of anxiety and depressive orders has grown. Depressive symptoms have grown from about 193 million people worldwide to 246 million, which is about an increase of 28%. This is according to Forbes news. Anxiety or disorders have now grown from 298 million to 374 million, a 35% and 25% increase. According to a report this past May, from Trust for America's Health, youth suicide rate has increased 71% over the last 10 years. The data across most organizations shows that within our nation and our world at large, anxiety, depression, stress, and a wide array of mental health issues are going up and up and up and up amongst all ages and sadly, particularly youth. And people continue to seek to build themselves up or they continue to find ways of getting better. But as they're trying to find those ways, they actually only go deeper into the pit of despair. They get pills, they get programs, they get anything and everything but Jesus. Now I wanna be clear with this because this is a touchy topic at times. If you are a Christian, it doesn't mean, if you call yourself a believer of Jesus, it doesn't mean you're not going to have issues. Things aren't going to come up. We have to be clear on that. You could have issues with anxiety. You could have issues with depression. You can have those things. And we also have to recognize the church has done a lot of damage with these things. The church has done a lot of shaming of people and making them feel like they don't have a place at the table if they have those issues, Because we say things of Christianese, like I mentioned Sunday, all is good in Christ. Or you say, you're not depressed, you have Jesus. Or you say, God's good all the time. Or you say, just think about it, God's got it, let go, God's got it. Now, all of those phrases are true. But the reality is that we forget when we're saying those phrases to actually show that brother or sister how to get to the heart of the issue. We forget to show that brother or sister how to genuinely cry out to the king of kings. We don't help them get on their knees before the king of kings. And instead, they end up getting on their knees before the world. So as we study Psalm 6 tonight, I want you to ponder a time you were at the bottom. A time you were suffering. Or reality, you might be in that season right now. And pondering that. Suffering has taken over so much of our world. Suffering takes over our hearts. Yet, there's hope that comes from the cross of Christ. For we all can relate to suffering. We all can relate to feeling at the bottom. But the question we need to think about tonight is how do you respond from the bottom? Because the response from the bottom is a vital choice that changes everything. So Psalm 6. This psalm is a lament psalm. This psalm is also one of the penitential psalms. It's the first of them that we'll see. The other ones are 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. 32, 38, 51, 102, 103. Uh, Sorry, yes, 130 and 143, 130. Within this psalm, we see a song of confession. We see humility before God. And again, this is a consistent thing that we see from David. This psalm also will bring to life other verses that we'll see in this particular psalm. So Psalm 34, 18, we see, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Or we see Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now something interesting, both of those Psalms are also of David. Remember we just looked at consistency? There's consistency. And saints, that's important for us because as we study His Word, it is important to ponder what He's placing before us. Right now we're looking at John the Baptist we just studied, and we saw the consistencies that he had. Now we're looking at David, we see the consistencies there, and both examples are for us to study. And with David, as we look at him, guess what? He's consistent in sin, and he's consistent in needing God, and crying out to God. Can you relate? Now this psalm starts with a tender plea. It points to God. We're going to see a state of deep suffering, And then it shows the results of being heard by our faithful God. So the title itself we see, To the Chief Musician with Stringed Instruments on an Eight-Stringed Harp, A Psalm of David. Now we've studied this idea before of chief musician. And we know that that's the choral director. And as we noted, some point to it being the Lord himself. Anybody want to be in that choir? Yes, please. Then we see this has stringed instruments. But this says an eight-stringed harp. An eight-stringed harp, the Hebrew name there, Shemineth, and it's an octave. So think, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Now this I find very interesting, because music n- dork here, you know. Thinking of that range, that full octave, and thinking of the wide range of emotion that we're going to see, we have the depths of lowness and the heights. And who's writing this psalm? David. Now, we do not have the specific time or what the circumstances are going on in David's life when this is written. And if we review his life, there are many moments we can see where he fell short. There are many moments where he was being attacked. There are many moments all over of suffering and pain for David. And this is one of those moments. So we read verse one. "O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Oh, Lord. Now, right off the bat, we start this with a vowel. Oh. It's one, when I see that, I have to stop. Former opera person, whenever there's an O, it's going to be heightened emotions from the soprano or tenor, and they're usually in agony, they're in a lot of pain, and they're crying out and whining over something. And it's agony. And we see right here, the first thing we get is Oh and who does he direct it to god not oh let me tell you my friend oh let me talk to this person oh god and he's saying lord there capital l o r d the personal relationship with god the reminder that prayer it's directed to god and with that oh a reminder for us that we can bring the cries We can bring the pain to Jesus. If we think about our culture today, I believe we've lost the art of crying out to God. And what do I mean by that? We keep prayer in a really neat box. We've got our prayer lists. We've got our prayer journals. We've got our prayer guidebooks. But it all kind of gets in the way of just communing with God. And the messy O's that we feel don't fit into the box. It doesn't always fit into the box. So then when the messy O comes, we phone a friend. Or when the messy O comes, we write a long post on social media and hope we get some prayer hands and hearts and thumbs up. Saints, don't lose that fact that we need to cry out to God. In fact, bring it back. It's beautiful to have brothers and sisters that you can go to. It is beautiful to have the oneness of the union of marriage and... God is still number one. I tell the joke when I talk with people in terms of courting, and Christina and I told it to the kids, sushi date when we were courting, we're sitting in the house at the school I was working at that was building for us, and I said, okay, Lord, it's time. And I looked at her and I said, I love you, but I don't need you. God's number one. And then she looked at me and said, God's number one for me, and I don't need you either. I love you, though. And that was an important piece. And Baldrick knows he's number three. God has to be number one. He needs to be the one we look to first. He needs to be the one we cry out to first. Then we read, Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. David shows that God is rebuking. God is chastening. Again, the exact cause of suffering we're not set to know. But we do see David has a keen awareness. If I want relief... I got to go to the Lord. You see, far too often when things get tough, when suffering comes on, we don't go to the actual source that can give us relief. Instead, We go again to the social media post. We look for the sad emojis, the tear emojis. We find a self-help book on the topic. We find a podcast on the topic. We find an interview with somebody talking on the topic. We look at Netflix. Is there any show that can relate to my topic? There isn't. Let me go on Google and I'll do a Google search. And each of these things is putting you farther and farther and farther and farther and farther away from the only source that's going to help, Jesus. Now, David says, don't rebuke me or chasten me. David's making it clear in these words, he is under God's discipline. Thus, David senses that due to sin in his life, he's under the rebuke, the correction of God. Now, within the chastisement, David's pleading with God in this moment. He is saying, please lighten it. Don't rebuke me in anger. Don't chasten me with hot displeasure. Lighten the load. Please, God. There's a few lessons for us in this. One, when we sin, We can't let shame or guilt or our poor judgment that led us into the sin keep us from going to God. We have to go to God. Far too often the enemy deceives us into thinking we have no place going to God. You call yourself a Christian? You just did that. Don't think God wants to talk to you. He thinks you're disgusting. He thinks you're worthless, and we don't go. Or you think God wants to talk to a woman like you? Think of all the things you've done. He's not going to listen to you. And the result, we pull ourselves away. We hide. We try to figure it out on our own. All the while, we need to stop and go, Oh, Lord, don't run away from God. Run to God lesson two or reflection two from this verse, at times we can think we're being chastened by God's own hand. We're being punished when really we're just getting the consequence of a decision that we brought about ourselves. And we knew we shouldn't have done it. We still did it. And there's consequences of that. The next morning hangover from the story that I started with isn't punishment from God. It's a result of drinking way too much and destroying your body. It's just the A plus B. This verse also is important to point. It is not permission to go down a rabbit hole and tie every physical ailment that you have to sin and say, if I figure out what the sin is and get rid of it, bam, the illness is going to go away. Guarantee. That's not a guarantee because God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, guess what? He gets to decide if it goes or not because we need to remember, as we saw from John the Baptist, I am not the Christ. We are not. God is sovereign. With all that said, there are also times when God does and will clearly chasten his kids. Now, does he do it for us, the believer today, with anger? First, we got to look at what chastening means, because guess what? We have the entire counsel of the word of God. David didn't have that. If we think about David, he didn't have John 1, where he realizes, oh, if I believe and receive, I get to be a child of God. He doesn't get to see that, but we do. Now, through our adoption, chastening has a different meaning for us because it actually becomes a sign. It's a gift of the adoption that he is our father. And guess what? A father chastens the child with love to help them grow, to help them be better. Hebrews 12, 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Hebrews 12, 7. Is it always pleasant and fun? No. Is it always for our good? Yes. So David sees this discipline in this moment and he cries out to the only one who can bring resolution and restoration. God. Why? God is sovereign. God is faithful. So that's the chastening. But what about the anger? Saints, we just looked at David not having the adoption, right? He doesn't have that adoption that we do. He doesn't have the whole word of God yet. We do. When he chastens us as a believer, guess what? It's out of his abundant love for you and me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He came for salvation. We don't get wrath. That's a gift. It's a blessing. And then in Hebrews 12, 11, going on in that portion of Hebrews, we read, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. So again, the whole counsel of the word of God says, listen, it's not going to feel great. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of Righteousness. those who have been trained by it. Now here's the kicker. If you hire a personal trainer, if you never show up to work with them, are you going to see any results? You're not. So guess what that means? We have to enter into the chastening. And when it comes, we have to show up, we got to be within it, and we have to go to God. Not social media, not man, God. We pray. We worship, and most importantly, we get in his word, the living word that discerns our thoughts, the intents of our heart, and the fruit, peaceable fruit of righteousness. Verse 2. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Notice here twice in this one verse, the personal Yahweh is used. It's used a bunch. We've got three already, and we're only two verses in. He is pleading from suffering. And from the bottom, where does David go? To God. And what does David do? He reminds God, I'm using your personal name because you are my personal God. And that's a reminder to us when we're at the bottom go to Jesus, go to Emmanuel, God is with us, go to the good shepherd, go to the living water, go to the true light, go to the great I am, go to the way, the truth, and the life. Go to the names he's given us and seek him. David's established already in the few Psalms that we've studied, he's a passionate dude. And in that passion, he is saying here, have mercy on me. It's a plea for mercy. Mercy shows an awareness, I'm a sinner. But relief can only be granted by you, God, the one true king. It's not giving me what I deserve, because it's mercy. I deserve everything that is death, ultimately. We all deserve death, but for the mercy of Christ. He's physically weak, and he asks personally for healing because his bones are troubled. This has become a trial of physical weakness and pain. Spurgeon's words on this, so we pray that the chastisements of our gracious God, if they may not be entirely removed, may at least sweetened by the consciousness that they are not in anger, but in His dear covenant love. It's not the wand of removal but it's an awareness, okay, where is this coming from? It's coming from love, but it's still painful, but it's coming from love. And the Hebrew of bones in that verse is pointing to shaken, a terror. His bones are shaking. And again, we fast forward to culture today and we think about anxiety, we think about depression, we think about these things. I can't help but think about the time at a boarding school that I worked at, where when kids were having Panic attacks, I would hear, my bones are shaking. My bones are aching. My bones hurt so much. Like, okay, take a breath. Great pain and suffering. But in those moments, there's no going to the one person who can give relief. Jesus. In the context of suffering and looking at suffering, I want to remind us of Paul's experience, which we've looked at before, but we're going to look at it again. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. And it's just a reminder for us of what it is to go through this. What it is to have something that is difficult. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now we know he went through so much persecution. He went through so much torture and torment and he took it. But this issue that he says to the Lord, please remove it. My grace is sufficient for thee. And we have to look at that because in the suffering that we go through, there's going to be times where we're praying, we've repented, everything's good. And it's like, Lord, why isn't this gone yet? And it's, hey, in this weakness, I'm strong through you. What did we learn this past weekend about the Holy Spirit? A source of power for the believer and child of God. For us with the entire counsel of the word of God, we have to realize suffering has an antidote and remedy. From our gracious King Jesus. He can empower us to endure any and all suffering by His Spirit. Any and all suffering He can have us endure. Verse 3 My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? A soul greatly troubled, a soul where emotion is housed, a soul where intellect is housed, a soul where will is housed, all troubled. What we see here is the agony of a mind unable to shut off from the trouble and stress of the situation. This is a mind that 24-7 is reeling through whatever is causing stress, whatever the turmoil is. Guess what? If you're reeling through it 24-7, are you sleeping? No. Are you eating? Possibly not. Are you feeling great? No. This is the wrestle and torment for the flesh and in the flesh, And David asks, but you, O Lord, personal Lord, how long? Now this isn't David saying, Lord, give me the exact date and time that things are going to change, please. Application to us as we wait for the rapture. We can't expect the exact date and time that it's going to happen so we can know all the stuff that we're worried about is going to stop. No, we're not going to know that. But we can say how long the way David says, because it's a heart knowing that when God does answer, he's going to be decisive and it's going to be according to his will. And that is a beautiful thing. And we tie that to verse one and we see that David senses God's anger and that anger that he's sensing from the beginning of that, that's coming in his body. His body and soul are a mess. And we have to think, In our culture, does that happen today? Yeah. You ever hear, well, God must be mad at me for something I did because dot, dot, dot happened. Or God doesn't really like me today because dot, dot, dot happened. In those moments when we say that, we're forgetting and neglecting to be confident in his love, to be confident in his assistance. And that's when something trivial happens and you would think it's the end of the world. And when that happens, I say that's stemming from a false anger from God. Reminder, we're not having the wrath. He's given us salvation. We cannot forget his love. We cannot forget his assistance in the suffering. How long David yearns for God. He yearns for communion with him again. And it moves him to verse four. Return, O Lord personal Lord. Deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. Return, oh Lord. Guess what that shows? David knew there was distance between him and God, and he knew he was away from God. Thus, return, personal use. Deliver me, because sin separates us. David, the same one who wrote Psalm 3.8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. David knows the deliverance, temporary or permanent, only going to come from God. But in the midst of the trial, in the midst of what's going on, he had forgotten. We may forget too. But what does he do from the bottom? He recalls and he says, return. Think about it. When you are close to God, there's a security you can feel that you're like, I... I, through his spirit, will be able to endure anything. I can face anything. But it's those moments when you're away from him that you drop your keys and it's, oh my goodness, the world is finishing. My keys fell. We have to be clinging to him. What does Jesus call us to do? Abide in him. Abide in his word. What is the word? Lamp to our feet and light to our path. As believers, we have the key for security. And we can be enabled through his spirit to face anything. But guess what it takes? Discipline. And sometimes that discipline is our loving father bringing chastisement about to keep us on the steady path. And when he does, we say, return, O Lord. We plead to him and we rely as David does on his mercy's sake. David's suffering intensely. And David still, in this moment, believes on the mercy of God. Which, if you think about it, is mind-boggling. Because when I read mercy, I can't help but think about Jesus. No Jesus in the picture. And he believes still in the suffering and the mercy. Now, for you and me, as we suffer in this life, do you still believe in the mercy of God? Do you still believe in his mercy, which is new each day? Do you say the Christianese phrases from an empty heart or do you genuinely believe in his character with all of your heart? You might hear, I just don't feel like God loves me anymore. Be on guard if that's a thought you have or if that's something you hear a brother or sister say because we have to realize something. Just because we're suffering doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Our suffering does not change who God is or how God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in this moment, David is sure of the character of God. We need to be sure of the character of God. Far too often when suffering comes, we put that gap between us and God. Because we think and we assume things on the character of God. Well, he's he's got to be mad at me about something. He doesn't love me. I've done, you know, he, he he's... Uh, We start feeling, we dwell in our emotions rather than the evidence of who God is. We gotta leave the emotion aside and we gotta cling to the evidence of who God is. Do you need evidence of who he is? You have it in your lap, 66 books. Or in your app, I guess I should say. Prefer the lap, 66 books. You have the evidence. The body of Christ, the church, we need to be better about clinging to the evidence of our king When our emotions try to shake us, stand firm in the evidence. And David expresses through faith. We must express through faith. Verse five. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Okay, there we go. There's the proof, evidence that there's no life after anything. There's no life after death. There's the theology verse. No, and this is my public service announcement, take scripture in context. Because somebody will take that, run with it, and create a whole theology. No. But we have to think of the context of the Old Testament. It's murky. It's even shaky when it comes to understandings of what happens beyond this present life. Job 19.25, it's very clear there. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. But in other places, there's uncertainty. But for us, we have the full counsel of the word of God. There is no uncertainty. Second Timothy 1. Eight through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We've got the whole thing. We have the gospel. Jesus, remember, what did we see in John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's preexistent. He knows what's going to go on and what is going on. Beyond the life we see. David doesn't have that. And in this moment, David's saying, I don't want to go yet. I want to praise you. I want to still sing out to you. Verse 6. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. God's hand feels heavy upon David. And these two verses show the depth of torment he's feeling. He feels God's angry with him. He's lacking a sense of closeness with God. He's lacking the presence of God in his life. He can't sleep. And the imagery we get in the poetry in verse 6, I am weary with my groaning all night. I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. That's intense. That's groaning until you don't have any more left to do with the vocal cords. That's crying, the eyes are red, they're inflamed, they're swollen, you're done, no sleep. If you are going through that season, or if you've had that type of hurt in the past and you wonder, why did you let me suffer so much? Look at David here. Because in a moment, we're going to see where the peace comes from. Hint, the character of God. Now we see here that he says his enemies, they're pursuing him. And when the enemies would come, David normally would try to jump, get that victory. But right now he's stuck. He's too low. He's depressed. He's discouraged. Culture 2023. I think of our culture today. Think of the lovely youth of this church. But I think of a culture that's facing discouraged, depressed, no hope, tears all the time, sadness all the time, sleepless nights, no purpose, no purpose. We can relate to David in that. This pain of his state of being gives us an example for when we are in the depths of that pain. David's at the bottom. From the bottom, we're going to now see how he responds. Verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. That's a quick change. We just went through all this agony, all this hardship. It's, whoa, whoa, whoa. Go away, workers of iniquity. I'm done. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. David is now saying, I got to put space between me and my enemies. Guess what? We have one enemy we're fighting, Satan. And we've got to keep space between us and him. How do you do that? Stay in his word. How do you do that? Ask for the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. How do you do that? live his way to avoid the sins that easily ensnare us. And that said, though, there also comes the prayerful discernment of maybe there's certain people I need to put some distance with because they're not helping the walk I'm trying to go on. And that's a big one. I remember when I first got saved, praise God for some older brothers at Calvary Hudson Valley who had no problem calling me out on some friendships. they are like, dude, that's not helping you. Like, nix it. You gotta cut the, you gotta cut the cord. That's not helping you. I wish I had listened fully. I didn't. I wish I had. But then you also can think, well, I want to be the light for them. No. There's one light. We looked at that in John 1. There's one true light. Pray for them. And I'll tell you, I was that one. I'll be the light for them. It failed. It didn't work. I fell. But the times that I committed it to prayer, there would be one or two. Dude, what's going on with you? How did you change? Oh, window, I'll tell you. But you have to be mindful of that. All that to say, distance from Satan, distance from friends of the past. And we see in verse 8 that he now knows the personal Lord heard his weeping. Verse 9. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. He knows his supplication's been heard. He knows the Lord's received his prayer. He's pointing all to the character of God in these things. Verse 10. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. He did it before, doing it again. Leave the vindication to God. Let them turn back and be ashamed. And for us, with the whole council, we pray for the salvation of people in those moments. But leave it to God. Some one, some two, some three, some four, some five. Now this one, reality of the duality just keeps coming up. God's faithfulness in dealing with the wicked and ungodly. We don't have to take it upon ourselves. Now, the question can come, was David cured and healed of everything in that moment? Now, if we think of maybe a panic, anxiety attack or something like that, clearly these are words from peace. Peace is washed over. Now, if this was an ailment or illness, we don't have the answer if it suddenly went away, but we do see that the peace of God is present. How did it shift? Think about this. If you know someone, you've spent time with them, you're with them all the time, you know about their character, you know who they are, you know how they are. Somebody says something bad about them and you're like, I I can't picture that. I've never seen that. What are you basing that off of? The character of the person. We do that so well with people and we forget so often to do that with God. We neglect to stand on the character and person of God. That is what David is doing here. He's still feeling what he's feeling. But he moves away from the feeling and he chooses to push the feelings aside to focus on faith in God. He pushes the emotions aside and focuses on the evidence. David's bones and soul were troubled and now the trouble's shifting to his enemies. David's crying out to the Lord reminded him of God's character and peace follows. You see, when we pray, And truly cry out to the Lord. The healing that comes isn't the healing that we so often hear in circles that it's, you know, everything's gone, you're good. And I want to be clear, guys, I'm not saying God can't do miracles and heal people, He can. But we forget the soul healing. By His stripes, we're healed, the sin sick soul. When we cry out to him like this, it's the peace that comes into our soul and our being and a power from the Holy Spirit that suddenly the troubles of the soul, the woes of the day, the stress and the suffering, we rest in the fact God is faithful. We rest in the fact God is. When we see this, David doesn't live by his feelings. He lives by faith. David doesn't live by emotion. He lives by evidence. You might say sometimes or hear, you know, I really hope God's listening to me. You're in emotion. You're not in the evidence. You're in feelings when you say that. If you go there, stop, shift, and get to the place where you know the God who saved me, the God who sent his son to die on the cross, hears my prayers. And what happens is his will. Thank you, Jesus. David's prayer of Psalm 6 shows the fruit of shifting to the character of God and the fruit of knowing he hears our weeping, he hears our supplication, he receives our prayers. Notice we start with weeping. There's some emotion in weeping, but it's not directed to self. It's directed to God. And looking at his character and looking at who he is. It reminds us that in that situation, when we do that, God will have his will done. And that brings the peace. Because it's his will be done, not ours. Why? He is. And guess what? We can rest in the fact he knows best. So the prayer of Psalm 6 is also, remember, a praise song. This is the hymn book for the children of Israel, for the early church. Guess what that means? We can praise the Lord in worship in any circumstance. Suffering comes, sing praise unto him. Sing praise unto him. So our charge for this week, saints, are faith or feelings your thermometer? Do you take your temperature by how you feel in the suffering and the trials of life? Or do you take your temperature by your faith in the character of God? Notice faith, not that you get what you want, faith in the character of God. Is it emotion or evidence that you live by? Do you cry unto the Lord or do you cry unto the world? Who's your go-to in the midst of a trial or suffering? And be honest with it. What's your go-to? If something horrible happened right now, bam, who's your go-to? Is it God first or is it social media or is it somebody or is it a phrase that I'm going to just say and speak to myself, but I don't really mean it, which is why I say speak this and remind you who he is so that the Holy Spirit can do the work that he does Two. what verses do you have hidden in your heart that you might stand strong and suffering anchored in the character of God? What verses have you written that you might avoid sin and the consequences that lead to suffering? The ones that I'm personally going to ponder, Psalm 119, 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hebrews thirteen eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Romans 5, 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Philippians 4, 4-7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Cry out, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the last one of the charge, think of the statistics we looked at at the start of tonight. How do you respond to the mental health crisis of our time? And I'm gonna challenge that you don't think of it as a mental health crisis because what we're really having folks is an N.O. Jesus crisis. That's what we're really having. The fact that we're pushing Jesus out, we're pushing God out, we're not offering his word as the salve for the soul. So in that, are you a prayer warrior? In that, when you see that troubled person, when you see that person that is having that, are you helping them say, return, oh Lord, deliver me, oh save me for your mercy's sake. Revival, we need to pray for repentance. We need to pray for conviction. We need to pray for repentance. Conviction comes forth by putting the word of God in front of those people. So if you tie the charge from Sunday and give someone, behold, the Lamb of God, you can do two at once. Look at that. There you go. But again, really go through. Look at these. Ponder. Pray. Tonight during prayer, we sang, Holy, Holy Lord, God Almighty. Write that hymn on your heart. Remember who he is. Remember the character of God. I wish I could tell you, you'll never suffer. I can't. What I will tell you, according to this book, it's promised when you fall into various trials. But with that, I can also tell you, if you start when that suffering comes with, oh, Lord. And genuinely cry out to him first. Genuinely leave it to him. Look to his character. Recall who he is. Recall that he faithfully hears and receives your prayers. You can then faithfully know he will answer in accordance to his will. And it will be worked for your good. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what gives our heart, mind, and soul and body relief. That's what gives peace. Because we're at the foot of the cross of our king. Abba, Father, everlasting Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this example, Lord, of suffering. Lord, only you know what each and every single person in this room is going through, Lord. And Father God, I pray that each and every single one of us, in the midst of our own suffering, can say, Oh, Lord can look to you first, can cry out to you, groan to you, repent, and seek, Lord, to just know we're heard by you, and your will will be done. And Lord, I pray that we can rest in your sovereignty with joy. Father God, help us to be a people who cry out, O Lord. And help us, Lord, in the midst of this no-Jesus culture to be a body of believers that says, yes, Jesus. Let me show you who the Messiah is and bring the word to the people. Help us to be your hands and feet, Lord. Help us to be your salt and light. And Heavenly Father, I pray that each and every single one of us takes what you've given us tonight and truly prayerfully ponders it that we can receive the gift of refining from you for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a good night.